0: And now the Rathband Tapes. Episode nine. Fifteen Minutes of Fame.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is, welcome to The Rathband Tapes. My name is Tony Horn in Lancashire, England, in South Australia. David Rathband's twin. Darren. In this episode, let's look at, I suppose, one of the fallouts from this entire story. Everybody will be world famous for 15 minutes, a chap called Andy Warhol once said. I think many of us that are slightly older will have had conversations with people who are slightly younger, and we say to them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And increasingly, I hear the response, I just want to be famous. To which the follow-up is, yeah, but what do you want to do? (laughs) And there are some paths in life, of course, that lead naturally to fame, sport and entertainment and politics being amongst them. Some people are going about their business, leading ordinary lives, and for want of a better phrase, have fame thrust upon them. Whether that be the McCann's or PC David Rathband, everything changes overnight. There's an upside to that fame and there's a downside to that fame. The press are fickle. The press have their favourites. Off the top of my head, people they've tormented over the years, from Darren Day to Caroline Flack, and people who seem to just be vetoed and can almost do nothing wrong. Dare I say it, one of the northeast's finest sons, Ant McPartland. So let's have a brutally honest case study about fame. And let's go back to what Darren said in the episode Senses Working over time.
0: Uh, Tony, you'll know that the press friends like we got off the plane there was press. we mm. were pushed into an unmarked police car, there was press outside the hospital. there were stories there were stories already released in the tabloids. and we, obviously I then thought, well, I'm going to look after my brother. I want to make sure he gets looked after." So I, I was busy, so then that, that was the good thing. But, that later on that becomes a bit of a bad thing because it sort of comes certainly comes around and smacks you and says you're in trouble so
1: darren you arrive from south australia and this is a scenario where you're in new territory i guess perhaps once or twice maybe some court cases involved with your police work have hit the news but nothing on this scale
0: no certainly not where you're at the front of it tony um there was a, a, a case that I was involved in when I was in Darleston that was uh, a pretty high-profile murder, but uh, obviously that focuses on the victim and the circumstances. Um, but to would be certainly uh, up front or certainly in the second row. Not the best place to be, I would suggest.
1: And there's the first rule, I think, of fame, that when you are thrust into it, you are... Behind the ball game from the off, aren't you? As you explained in that clip.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think certainly the powers that be the press, have, they've already got their storyline and they already know which way they want to go with it. There's either a good, bad or middle ground. And you've got to, I think, as a member of the public, if you are thrust into it, you've, you've got to know which side you're on to
1: start off with. Well, there can only be one moral high ground in this story. That's for sure, but what becomes evident over a period of time, hence Darren's comments, is that there is an equal amount of narrative being given to both sides, or perhaps a- an unequal amount of narrative, but a hefty amount of narrative to both sides, and unequal, because we know that there was this moat is a hero. We know that um, this lady in Burnley, Siobhan O'Dowd, set up this Facebook group, and this all gets airtime.
2: That's what—that's what's bad about everything about Facebook, because it allows a platform for ill-informed, ignorant, horrible people to have a voice. But then you have the option to choose to delete or block, so I suppose it's free speech, isn't it?
1: That's David at his... Um best and david at his best is brutally blunt and i think david and i subscribe to the same theory which is that it's sort of all right to give idiots a platform because reasonably minded people whose kindness he adored can see through the the nonsense
0: and that is a minority and it is a nonsense isn't it i think tony if if you keep all the idiots together in one room the normal people become less affected by them. So Facebook in that position is a really good thing for that because all those morons that followed uh, that, uh, that story of him being a hero were all together. And people with a moral compass that has north, south, east and west know exactly where they stand. Uh, and, you know, what? they're the people that other people want to be engaged with.
1: We will see and we will show how the relationship with the press invariably comes full circle or if you want to maybe put it another way as you are becoming famous you know you climb a mountain and you reach a peak and then when things go out of control you really ski down the other side very very fast and can come to a crashing end the comment about the x-rays in the papers is very interesting how on earth they got there i don't have the answer to that i mean clearly that's a breach of client confidentiality isn't it do we know how they got there
0: do you, do you mean the x-ray where all the pictures uh, the picture show how many um, bits of steel or any face tony
1: yeah was that authorized the release I, of that
0: I, I would hope so because that's certainly if not a breach of medical standards and i would suggest that probably was to i think emphasize how seriously david was injured uh, i think that may have been used as sort of a ploy in regards to get the public on Moat side on david's side i think i'm not sure i i, I would assume Tony's i'd hope so
1: Yeah, and let's just remember the context of that. So we're talking in the first couple of days or so, as Darren lands back in the UK, and David's stance at this point is the noble, brave policeman who, as we've discussed before, bears no malice, but actually does, and is already intent on preserving evidence for the trial of the two accomplices. Now, one thing that's really interesting here, and look, you know, I had a big radio show in the mornings for over 20 years. All I ever wanted to do was be near radio. I'm not daft. I understand that public property comes with that job. And here's the slight contradiction or a slight conflict, in fact, that I want to put out there. I can think of... Moments that happened in my personal life. For example, when my children were born, I never said anything on the air in, during the pregnancies. And then suddenly we have a child. So I tried to manage, if you like, what should remain private. Unfortunately, press and public don't see matters like that because they would always say to me stuff like, well, you put yourself out there on your radio show. And I would say, yes, but I decide which bits I put out there. But people will always come back at you with, well, you make yourself fair game. So there's no sort of understanding in the general conversation about fame of the bits that you try to control we talked in a previous episode about David's release from hospital and the staging of a picture a staging of a picture really to protect him and also a deal that had been done with a newspaper the deal being done so we've got funds for for example medical Procedures that David needed, like his teeth, that he wasn't getting funded for. So that photo was to protect the integrity of that deal, but also to avoid the feeding frenzy of exiting the hospital just two weeks after he's been left for dead. So at that stage, if you like, one is in control of the media. But time and time again, however much you try to decide what you put out there people do want a piece of you and as time goes on as we climb that mountain of course everybody is very very favorable to david understand david's motivations for being public
2: between you and me that's why i've been doing what i've been doing for the last six months it's not you know it wasn't uh... Like, you know, my intention wasn't to be a a, a celebrity, as some people say. It was for a reason.
1: Darren, what's your stance as is fame? And I hate that word. And notoriety implies something slightly negative. I don't know what the correct choice of language is, but what's your stance as it builds and builds and builds towards the annual autumn Pride of Britain coverage in the UK, do you just go with the flow? Are you sitting there smiling? Or do you, is there a, a little voice in your head that says this is all going to blow up?
0: No, I think to start off with, it was, it was certainly something that was expected, Tony. Uh, and like you say, the, the Sun newspaper, we got, well, I got that an exclusive with David to tr- try and sort of shield him from that cascade of press reporters. Once he was with the Sun, then hopefully that would would sort of protect you from that. What I was aware of initially was there are a lot of people that want to get involved with somebody that becomes more of a, not a celebrity, because David wasn't a celebrity, but more interesting than others. The hangers on. So David started becoming isolated very, very early on in the piece. So the people that were gathering around him were people that I didn't trust, and I didn't even know half of them. So that was first concern and that was the first warning that I made.
1: Well, you could argue that I was a hanger-on, but I like to think that I stayed the course and I like to think that when we worked together on the book, the reason I've got so many hours worth of material is because, well, we became, we became close and we talked about everything, anything and everything. And I think as time went on, that isolation is very important because david has to trust but all around him he sees organizations such as the police federation such as northumbria police that he does begin to question and they're people that represent him and he works for so you would inevitably become wary of the press and i think There is a really important role in the press in David's life in that, to a degree, that public role gave him those reasons to continue, gave him energy. But I think he wasn't superficial about it. I think he understood it
2: the way the press work they try to find stuff out that the police know that can't tell them, more they think they're finding stuff out the police don't know and that's dangerous
1: but as time went on he didn't want to do everything
2: i just wish people realized when no means no it oh, means no. no
1: i think he had an awareness darren of of you know what was going on there and we'll see in a minute his attitude towards politicians and and royalty, but when that Pride of Britain ceremony comes along, I don't recall watching it. I'm aware that was an incredibly powerful moment. I mean, it's always a heartbreaker of a TV show to watch. And I think it does bar possibly the odd lifetime achievement on a People who've gone beyond the call of duty in the last twelve months, but I suppose Pride of Britain traditionally, I think, is October. I may be wrong. It's all still relatively yesterday, isn't it? By the time that happens,
0: yeah, that's certainly. Um, there's no time from the time David got shot. And what I would say is the the build-up to the Pride of Britain was all in the positive tone. Um, David was seen as somebody who'd done his duty, helped others, uh, unfortunately been left injured and his life changed forever. Uh, and what we've got to remember is the Pride of Britain, uh, David got one of the most or the highest votes for one uh, for that position uh, you know, ever received from Pride of Britain. And I know that because I got a call from people that were producing it asking me to come over to the UK.
1: I know there's a picture in the house of the Pride of Britain Awards. I think it's him and Cheryl Cole, once Tweedy. Interesting that you may recall on the steps of the courtroom that as David, with all that relief at the verdict for Ness and Awan, is in a parallel courtroom to Andrew Tweedy, Cheryl's brother, who was being sent down for some criminal activity and you know cheryl's a geordie girl come good make the most of her abilities and david Honorary geordie you know geordie's always get together
2: did i say to her when i met her at the bloody um thing i I can't remember i said would you mind if i put my arm around you she said oh no not at all i said oh i've never seen you in newcastle and she laughed, and I went. Uh, mind, I says, uh, "You're a bit of a... St- oh, that was it. I says, oh, you're a bit of a stunner, aren't you?" And she went oh, "Thank you."
1: <laughs> even,
2: even blind,
1: uh, still flirting with the ladies.
0: <laughs> I think. I think him and Paul stayed up till about half past three in the morning with uh, with her at the award show, Tony, uh, enjoying uh, each other's company. Uh, sorry, enjoying each other's uh, company. Well, I think that
1: was... It's a TV show that gets massive audiences at a time, obviously, when people are staying in, the nights are getting darker. We're in that gruelling trudge towards Christmas. It's a show that warms the hearts that have been broken and possibly... You know that is the the peak of his fame and i repeat i don't see david as a a commodity we're just trying to explain and analyze i suppose what inevitably went wrong later and here's a marker i will put down for you do you know who presented david with his pride of britain award it was nick clegg On the night, Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg said it's overwhelming to see people like David quite rightly honoured on an evening like this for unimaginable courage. These are difficult times for the country. They always are. And what I think is so great about an evening like this, honouring people like David, is it just shows you there are people who do extraordinary things in their own lives. David said, the nicest thing for me is the decent general members of the public quieten down the scourge of what was very unsavoury at the time, and I'm grateful for that. It is indicative of this country that there's lots of nice people out there and a very small minority that spoil it for the others. I was doing my job, and I would do it again tomorrow. A couple of points there. That last line has echoes of i bear them no malice do you think that if we were able to turn back the hands of time do you think that's true do you think david would have wanted to be in that car again
0: tony i think he'd like if you put him in a position where he had to sort of save somebody's life he'd do it again but put him on his own um i would certainly put a caveat to it and that would I'd do it again as long as Northumbria Police Control Room gave me a warning one minute before I got shot.
1: And to Nick Clegg, let me tell you a little bit about politics here. Let's get into the relationship with politics and fame. Nick Clegg was in Gateshead speaking, I believe, at the Sage on the day of David's first funeral. He was giving... speech I understand about that old liberal Democrat favorite inheritance tax the sage is five minutes from Newcastle Cathedral I have to conclude that Nick Clegg couldn't be bothered to come to David's first funeral There were a couple of politicians there. I wrote to Downing Street afterwards to ask why Nick Clegg wasn't there. Frankly, I thought it was disgusting. And my opinion of him is formed forever. Alongside, of course, that conundrum in politics that he essentially sold out to get a seat in government went back on many Liberal Democrat policies and became Deputy Prime Minister, a scenario that couldn't continue the coalition, and guess what? He lost his seat at the next election and then, I think, went off to work for Facebook. But why would you not, when you are that close, find time for the man that you have stood next to and given an award to. I think the relationship with the politicians, David, understood. He was surprised when he was mentioned in Parliament.
2: Didn't he say something about, um, he'd spoken to Facebook and told them that it was, um, whatever it was. I can remember listening on the news that he had reached on the House of Commons.
1: He is David Cameron. The Facebook, obviously, is the Moat is a Hero scenario. Many politicians said nice things about David. I've thought about this often. Whilst not all politicians deserve to be tainted with the same brush, David's just another detail in their day, and... When David Cameron supposedly talks to Facebook about hate speech, it is just use of David to pursue an agenda. David Cameron is trying to send the message, I am in charge of hate speech. And David Rathband didn't think too much of it.
2: Those few days, like I said to you, I thought the whole world was against me because it was all Railmoat, like Railmoat this, Railmoat legend, Railmoat hero, Railmoat Facebook, Railmoat this. You know what I mean? It was me lying in a bleeding hospital bed, like, really flapping around the walls. I, uh, it was horrible that was, and I didn't really see the significance of Cameron reading out my name or the issues in the House of Commons.
1: Well, this is what politicians do. They align themselves to ordinary people to steal a march on an agenda that's already rumbling. Theresa May was the Home Secretary at the time.
2: Would have been nice if the Home Secretary had actually have come instead of sending me a scruffly handwritten letter.
1: <laughs> the strange thing is, we talked in previous episodes about trains being on a collision course. Uh, This is a unique moment because one of Theresa May's juniors in the home office did go and visit David, and that person happens to be one of my oldest and dearest friends, the late James Brokenshire, who was the Northern Ireland secretary, the first person I met at university. So I didn't know that James had gone to see David and at the time I wasn't writing the book, so I wasn't discussing it with James, but again, an example there of stories sort of on a collision course. I think these people are, are human beings. there's no doubt about it. I' know how David has got worked into the political agenda.
0: I think the thing is, Tony, uh, and the, the listeners to this podcast and people in normal, um, normal the general public there's is two words, there's a couple of words that come to mind: lip service, and they want to be relevant, because the public, as well as you and I know, members of parliament. They're not relevant to general working class, uh, and the lip service is to make sort of get them get that connection for them, and that's all. David was lip service. He was lip service after he was shot, lip service after he died, and he's still lip service now.
1: I agree with that, one hundred percent. Prince Charles, as he was, did slightly better in David's opinion.
2: Prince Charles's letter is a. Letter and, and he's underlined the prominent words like proud um, and things like that, where he's, he, he's obviously wanted to emphasise that, which is quite nice. But he's underlined them with like a marker pen.
1: People were building up an agenda here that this is what Britain is about, our police protecting the streets. But again, it's a political agenda rather than human reaction to a man whose life has
0: changed forever. Do you know what's funny, Tony, having spoke to David, he felt more connected to Prince of Wales, now King Charles III, than he did with any of them other people he met, because the conversation that he had with him, David said, was genuine, and I think he even he sent him a bottle of whiskey from his own estate.
1: Yeah, i that is true. Um,
0: both the whiskey and the portrayal of the conversation. The point that that needs to be sort of made from that is there are genuine people along the path that David's travelled, and David did meet a few. Fortunately, he met more that were sort of solely in it for themselves. And I think that, with everything else, clearly leads to the final outcome of where David ended up. David
1: wanted the, the book in the first... You know when you open a book, you get like a couple of blank pages, and then it'll say to Kath, Ash, and Mia, and then you get another blank page. I don't really understand why publishing (laughs) does that, but David wanted the line about the kindness of strangers on one of those pages. And ordinary people, I mean that respectfully, did behave exceptionally towards David. Darren is correct that There are people who, whilst David was having his 15 minutes of fame, also chose to enter his life for 15 minutes
0: and didn't stay Of course. That was 15 minutes for gain, I think that was called, Tony. Nicely put. Thank you.
1: I, obviously, am very close to this story. Darren, obviously, is very close to this story. I watch a lot of media coverage about a wide variety of events. There are obviously cases that, in the modern world of clickbait, where a newspaper headline encourages you to click on a story, so you'll see advertising that makes commercial revenue, and the story doesn't represent what the headline was selling you. There are story McCanns again is a is a terrific example of that. So many words written, feeding frenzy is correct. I couldn't write a very long list of stories stories that are lives that has had this amount of dating this amount of coverage and when you think there's nothing else that can be written here we go again and it is true that if you ever have a conversation with a national newspaper they are still very interested in this and back then they would publish anything and that means as we said at the start about david and about
2: moat oh you couldn't make it up i'm expecting tomorrow to be the article that he's got a a secret love child that's been adopted i I know you couldn't make it up oh baby laugh yeah it's just just the whole thing's just completely well i can't even surreal's not even the right word for it yeah and Raul Moat he did Raoul Moat never wanted people to know because it would just completely annihilate his bouncer reputation I'm waiting for Sam Stobart to be my long lost sister or something i <laughs> will be the next thing I've got um, you know I, 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 honestly you, I, I just dread to think what's going to come out tomorrow
1: and that was an article supposedly about Moat's gay lover
2: I didn't read that
1: one I don't know if it's true but there is an interesting point there in the you know when i say i don't know if it's true we get to the point journalists get to the point where dare i say it it almost doesn't matter as they say never let the truth get in the way of a good story so the goalposts move bit by bit they don't make a massive jump from a to z in one go they move from a to b the x-rays for the reasons that we've discussed B to C, C to D. And then suddenly we find ourselves reading stuff like that that is so far away from where we started the relationship with the press. And the principal reason that David wanted to do the book was, well, he taught me something here, which I now say to all my clients. He said, I just want to go on the record. I don't care if one person reads my book. I want this to be the definitive version that outlives me. And I always say to people now, can you please care if you sell more than one copy of your book? Because you will go on the record to as many people as possible if you do care. But obviously, one would like to make some income for the work that is is put into it. But it is true that, like these podcasts, which I suppose accompany that book, we represent David and we don't represent the nonsense and the humour of David when we've completed the book which is July 2011, here we go.
2: I actually sat here and thought I want to get two copies, I want to write, I want to put on the front cover, Two Ness, have a great life, you're not so clever now. Best regards, PC Wrathband, and then do the same to a one, wrap them in brown paper and then I'm going to send them to the prison.
1: And one thing that the editor, Sam Carter at Bite Back Publishing put on a little note to me and we were right up against the deadline the book coming out on the first anniversary I mean three days before he's still going through it and Sam sent me a lovely note about how the humour in the book, and these are moments that we've referred to in previous episodes, chicken wraps, Badger's Hat, shone through. And I think that's also important because this is a grim story, but you do need light and shade too.
2: It's quite good. I, I love it. Some of the bits you've used, it's funny.
1: So he was happy with that. And I think it, I think it did him justice.
0: I think, Tony, as well, if you look at that book, and you're saying about narratives, if you look at your book with David, that's purely based on on his account of what's happened and his feelings and thoughts. After that, you get all this smoke from other people, and the story changes. The story changes from David, the policeman that shot, left dying on the floor, everybody rallied behind him, to David, the man who had numerous affairs, treated his wife inhumanely and created domestic violence issues and then later killed himself. So you, you see that narrative change, that positive move towards David then becomes negative to the stage where the press at the, the northeast run basically ignored David, they walked straight past him.
1: Yes good point and the correct time to make it as well because the book comes out July 2011, but we can almost pinpoint to the moment that everything went horribly wrong. I'm seeing in front of me an article, the 26th of August 2011. And just to clarify, when I say horribly wrong, I mean in that relationship with the press. You build them up and you knock them down. We've all heard that. I'll come to that in a second. There are a couple of events that happen before that book and before that tide turns. London Marathon being one of them. And wow. I've done uh, maybe 15 half marathons. I don't have another yard left in me at the end of it. How he summoned up the mental, because a lot of long-distance running is in the mind, and physical, whilst being blind, six hours pounding the streets of London that April. An extraordinary achievement. Was he, was he always a pretty fit
0: guy? He, he kept reasonably fit because of his referee, but I wouldn't say it was marathon fit. He started training <laughs> in his garage, Tony, on a treadmill. And then developed a, one of his neighbours, Kerry Marshall, who was a really, really good tonic for David and supported him right from the start. Kerry would go out running with him and be his guide. So she assisted him getting up to fitness, and he was determined to do that marathon. Said I'll crawl round it, even if our, the string breaks, so I'll crawl around, I find the end of something.
1: Well, that is testimony to one very crucial understanding of who David Rathbun was is, and that is the mental strength, the bloody mindedness and seeing the job through. And of course he was raising funds for the Blue Lamp Foundation, the charity which Darren founded with their long term friend Paul Johnson. I think we should devote some time to the charity in an episode ahead we fast forward from the london marathon i recall the day because i was ringing him ringing him and ringing him and it's six and a half hours and i'm thinking you must be done are you okay are you okay and then finally I, I got word that he'd made it and he was exhilarated as everybody is that completes a long distance race it gives you such a wonderful buzz it's the most beautiful thing for the mind no pain no gain a lot of pain and a lot of gain on that day so that's Easter the book is July we worked on that really from January to as I say almost up to the point that it's released now trains colliding and all that it was my 40th birthday I was at home in Lim, Cheshire, and I watched David on Sky News being interviewed by Colin Brazier, who I really respect. And it was an interview where I thought the journalist was pure honest and had enough integrity to get to the heart of who David was, again, cutting out all the noise. And I sat there on my couch looking at amazon's rankings amazon's rankings change hourly and the book overnight went to something like 42 on amazon there are six million books or there were at the time on amazon i spent my 40th birthday just sitting there watching with pride trains on a collision course my world was about to fall apart Then, within a week I had left the radio station. My wife wished to follow the same direction towards me. And as quickly as the book rises the charts, the descent in public life, and indeed for my own fate, arrives very, very quickly. And we come to what Darren just mentioned a few moments ago: Article. 26th of August, 2011, PC David Rathbun arrested over assault. And in the same way that in the episode, The Night in Question, we tried to chart where this story began, whether it be Chris Brown's shooting, whether it be alerting Northumbria police and them taking no notice to Moat's intentions, or whether it be the arrest previously when David had pulled moat over on a scrap metal charge if we are to look at the beginning of the end darren you might feel differently but just six weeks before this we are riding high on the first anniversary i think this moment is the beginning of the end
0: yeah i've said that from the start tony and if you if you actually look at any of the press stories prior to this date Nothing mentions anything of David and Kath's relationship in anything other than a positive light. And that includes Kath and her comments and quotes in the paper. And just let's put it into context as well, Tony. And the start of the end is, is this moment. The negative press following that David got from this basically helped in his demise. And I'll always say that. And it was a false story. That's to come,
1: plus two trips to Australia. Next time, on the Rathband Tapes.
2: I'll be, I'll be forgotten. You can leave the police on a Friday after 30 years of service and be forgotten by the following.
1: So, remember, everybody has a story. To find out more, please visit secretsofaghostwriter.com And to comment on this episode, head to the Secrets of a Ghostwriter Facebook page. With thanks to Rob Jones at Ultimate Content. This is a Horny Media and Publishing production.